Material on this program is intended for general information only and should not be taken as specific investment, tax, or legal advice. None of the information contained in this broadcast is intended by the host to be a solicitation for the purchase or sale of any security. Endorsed Local Provider is an endorsement of customer service only and does not reflect quality of investment decisions and is not connected to investment returns. Further information is available by contacting Richard Young Associates, a registered investment advisor, security sold through Independent Financial Group, LLC, member of FINRA and SIP. Welcome to Money MD, where the money doctors are in the house and giving out prescriptions for better financial health and making smart decisions with your money. We give common sense solutions to your complex problems. I'm Steve Marbert, a certified financial planner and investment advisor with over 20 years experience providing financial planning and investment advice. And I'm John Travis. I'm a Dave Ramsey local provider, also have an MBA in finance and have been helping corporations and individuals with planning for over 20 years. And I'm Gordon Leppard, financial advisor with Richard Young Associates. Yeah, we're excited to have you listen to us today on our weekly radio show. We are right here every Saturday like today from 9 to 10 a.m. Yeah, you can also go to our website, moneymd.net. We have a link in the top right-hand corner. You can uh, stream us from your computer. You can get us on the dial at 1230 a.m. And we also have a podcast button on the right side of the the website that you can go back and listen to prior shows. We have it categorized. Um, You can kind of pick what you want to listen to and um, easy. Yeah, they're all listed out, all the titles there. Anytime. Yeah, easy breezy. No excuse for not listening to The Money Doctors. Um, And you can check us out on our website. We'd love to hear from you. You can link to us there, email us your questions, or you can email us directly at info at moneymd.net. Well, guys, I think we have an awesome show lineup for today. Um, Always very timely stuff, and, uh, you know, this is no exception. One of of them is, the first one we're going to start off with is The Game is Rigged. Talking about football? <laughs> well, football can be rigged, but we're talking <laughs> about the, gate, the game know. of stock picking, John. Okay. The game of stock picking, market timing, it is rigged. John Bogle says that. Um, he is the founder of Vanguard Funds, and we got a great article here about an interview with him. And, you know, I mean, he's right. He makes some great points about why it's rigged and why you don't want to play that game. Yeah, very interesting topic. And then we're going to transition into uh, an article um, from a, a local um, gentleman. He's a uh, professor, used to be a professor at University of Georgia, but it's entitled, um, Who Has Income and Who Doesn't? And it really depends on how you define the income, and it really, the the, the bent of this article is on financial education, and that's right up our alley, guys, so I'm excited about uh, about this one and uh, being able to dive into it. Absolutely, and then we're going we're gonna to take a look at uh, giving from your IRA, you know, especially if you're uh, over the age of 70 and a half, mm-hmm. uh, there, there are some tax benefits and some tax concerns considerations uh, that we're going to touch on that um, if you're thinking about you know having to take those rmds and uh utilize some of that R- ira money yeah this will be a, a good little segment yeah it's really popular with the uh, retirees that's right it is yeah that's a great way to do it so we'll tell you how to do that so tune in but we're going to start off here with the financial fact of the week yeah this comes from the gallup organization and the top three problems facing the nation and this is based on a survey of over a thousand adults uh recently were in order the economy was number one um, the dissatisfaction with the government is number two, and the third one was the unemployment or the jobs picture. And obviously the unemployment jobs is related to the economy, but it seems like the economy is typically on the top of the list 
whenever they do this. Uh, I guess there have been obviously boom times in the past, but that that message has been ringing now for for years. I mean, probably eight to ten years. I mean, it's been a very long time that that's been the number one. That's right. The economy really hasn't heated up for years and years. I mean, it's been this slow kind of grind to recover from the Great Recession. And, you know, even when it recovers, people are done. They don't feel like a recovery. Yeah, so. and if you look at the unemployment rate, it, they you know, it's less than 5%, but there's a lot of people that have dropped out of the workforce that are not That's included right. in that now. That's right. And, you know, it's probably closer to 10% when you include all those folks that um, are not seeking active employment. So. Yeah, those numbers really are skewed. And yeah, in- they are. Incomes have stagnated, <clears throat> and that's been the big reason why I think people don't feel good about the economy. Right. And uh, so we got to figure out how to change that, and we're seeing that, you know, with um, the elections and things, too, all the dissatisfaction that people have. Okay, um, but our first topic here that we're going to talk about is the game is rigged. That's right, guys. Yeah, I mean, John Bogle, uh, the founder of Vanguard Funds, did an interview here recently with um, Yahoo Finance, and, you know... um, after a couple of weak years in the stock market, people are looking at the retirement funds and and they think they could do better picking stocks maybe than these clowns that they have you know that they're investing through maybe in their four hundred one k. You know the fact is all the markets have lost to the S and P five hundred and large U S stocks in recent years due to the the flight of safety, um, flight to safety that you kind of see during market corrections when things get shaky. People tend to to sell the things they're less familiar with, and they tend to to hang on the things they might be more familiar with um, that they perceive as being less risky, and that tends to be the Dow stocks. You Mm -hmm. know, it tends to be large U.S. stocks. So those tend to do better when markets are down. Everything does worse than large U.S. stocks because people sell the other stocks they're less familiar with first. So it's tempting to run out there and start picking a few stocks yourself and think that you couldn't do worse than your maybe your funds are doing. Yeah, that's a mistake, certainly. And and there's some um, some notable godfathers in the business who are warning you to resist that temptation. I mean, one of those um, old timers is John Bogle, and he was the founder of Vanguard Funds and the first index fund over 40 years ago. And he puts a warning very simply. He says the game is rigged. And, um, you know, would you go to the Vegas? Would you go to Vegas and play the slots if you knew there was no chance at all that you could win? Um, or would you even enjoy a nice game of cards if you knew the other players already had all the aces? Of course, the answer is no. No, no I wouldn't. Of course not. I mean, but everyday people pick stocks in a high-stakes game, and they do that with their life savings. And, it, you know, the word is it's not a level playing field. And he says that you're going to lose – to the market over time, and it's very consistently that you're going to lose. Um, there may be you can get a stock or two here or there, but over time you will lose. Well, that's like I tell people. You know, people also they win the lottery. Mm-hmm. You know, but it's very few and far between. Oh yeah, yeah. The odds are way stacked against. That's right. That's right. And I think it's even worse over time with the stock market in terms of you know the odds of being against you um, of doing really well. I mean, Bogle points out that it's. It's too convoluted. Um, it's too complex. You shouldn't be playing the game at all. And so how is it rigged, you might ask? Well, there are lots of ways, but one is information. If you're buying a stock, you can't see all the orders that are available to buy like an institutional trader could with level three quotes. 
which means that they can manipulate the orders the spread and the spreads. Market makers can manipulate the spreads to take advantage of the average trader. Also, I mean, professional traders, they watch these stocks daily, and they know um, where they've been and why, and then what, you know, what causes them to turn. They don't necessarily know it ahead of time, but they know where it's been, so they have a better perspective of kind of where these stocks are than the average person does. And then there are programs that do trading. There, there are programs that trade dozens of times a second, which affect the momentum and the volume of stock trades. So if you're trying to outsmart the market, um, it would be like trying to compete at the Masters for the average golfer. <laughs> I mean, it would be futile and crazy to even try. I mean, even if you were good enough to compete at the Masters, guys, which I wish I were, <laughs> um, you don't have the resources. You don't have swing coaches. You don't have the best equipment with custom fittings. You don't have sponsors. You don't have access to the course ahead of time, you know, and all the experience that goes with that. Et cetera, et cetera. And the same thing applies with trading stocks, you know, in similar ways. You just don't have a chance to beat it over time. That's really the bottom line there. Yeah, and Bonk also goes on to point out, you know, you don't need to actually play the game, you know. That's right. Uh, Bonk, he, he's relentlessly pointed out over the years that speculators, they lose over time. John, just like you said, you know, he says that owning the broad market uh, for the long haul is actually the best way to go. You know, it's, it's the best path to actual wealth creation and growth. You know, interesting. Uh, interestingly, he, he is also not impressed with the growing array of EFTs, even though Vanguard, they do offer some. Right. Yeah, ETFs out there. I mean, Vanguard does have ETFs. Um, what that is, that's an exchange-traded fund, similar to mutual funds, but they can trade any time, kind of like a stock. You know, they have a manager who pulls the money together um, of individual investors, and they buy hundreds of stocks or bonds. Mutual funds, though, they're only priced at the end of the day, but ETFs are priced and traded continuously. And he says index investors <clears throat> don't need the lunacy that goes on in the ETF market. Um, you know, why make it that complicated, he points out. I mean, you just used ordinary open-ended mutual funds, he says, and <clears throat> and if you rather than using ETFs. And he makes a great point, and we agree, but we think you can improve on that even further by simply having asset class funds that buy an entire asset class and don't focus on just an index because there are some inherent problems with indexes. But he points out that the ETF industry is the greatest marketing strategy of this age, but it's not the greatest investment idea. You know, I mean, the leveraged ETFs are what really irks him because they encourage more speculation and risk. The leveraged ETFs like the 2X, 3X ETFs, that you see out there, um, they encourage lots of, of trading, uh, lots of timing, which, you know, uh, no one is smart enough to do for the long haul. So if you just simply hold a diversified portfolio of asset classes over time, you get the return that markets have given. And history shows there's no need to try to time the market and try to improve on that. Yeah, I agree. So um, he makes some great points here, and we'll continue this when we come back from the break. But if you have questions, you can email us at info at moneymd.net, or you can call us at Richard Young Associates, 706-739-0725. You're listening to Money MD. We'll be right back after these messages. Stay with us. Money, 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 money. 
Welcome back to Money MD, where the money doctors are in the house. I'm Steve Marbert, a certified financial planner, and I'm here with John Travis, who is a Dave Ramsey local provider, and Gordon Leppard, who is a financial advisor at Richard Young Associates, along with us. And we are continuing our discussion here before the break about uh, stock picking and market timing. Um, uh, John Bogle, the mm-hmm. uh, founder of Vanguard Funds, he says the game is rigged. Yeah, it is. And, you know, a lot of people are looking at the markets the last two years and um, really not a lot of movement. So they're trying to do a different strategy, which is extremely dangerous. You know, and he's a pretty good one to listen to because he's been here for a while and he's been very consistent in mm-hmm. his approach and their strategy. And, and it's proven successful. For he has. Time. I mean, he's really the godfather of index funds, you know. Um, he, you know, founded the famous uh, Vanguard S&P index fund. Uh, VFINX, which we, us in the industry, refer to it as, mm-hmm. you know, by the ticker symbol. And, uh, you know, it's been around for ages, and it just follows the 500 stocks in the S&P 500. And that's what been his strategy is, is all this time it's been indexing, just following index funds. And there's nothing wrong with that strategy. We, we do think you can improve on that right, by right. buying asset class funds that buy the entire asset class and not just follow kind of a dumb index. But having said that, um, he makes some great points here. You know, the, the game is rigged and trying to pick stocks. If you go out there and you're frustrated with the market over the past few years, which a lot of people are because the market has been very flat, very frustrating. We had two corrections over the last three years, and it, it's frustrating. You know, it hasn't made any progress. But if you go out there and you try to try to fix it like you would your car, you know, and you're trying to give it a tune-up, thinking that you're going to improve it by picking stocks or market timing. It's probably not going to work. It's probably not going to work. He makes some great points here. You know, he says it's too convoluted. It's too complex. He says there's a lot that the traders for mutual funds and industries, they have a lot more information than you do. Um, they have level three quotes. They can see the volume of quotes that are out there on the buy side they and the sell side. Computers that are trading. Trading, you we know, have it's program trading going in. You know, there's there's programs that are trading uh, dozens of times a second, um, and you just can't compete with that. And you can't compete with their level of information they have. You know, and and they're doing things that are legal, but it's still a little bit manipulative, manipulative, if you right, will. Right. Um, and for the average trader out there, so you got to leave that to the pros. You need to just buy. Good index funds or good mutual funds that are well diversified. If we talked about structured. asset class funds, structured funds, yeah. and you need to, he says, you need to hang in there. You That's just right. need to stay diversified, stay focused on your long term goals, and not on some kind of short term. Uh, you know, short-term trading strategy. Yeah, this is not the first time the market has had a flat period <laughs> in its history. Sure. It's actually, you can go back and look, it's pretty pretty common. So, um, you know, Bogle suggests playing games in the stock market is gambling and it's rigged. You know, the business of investing, on the other hand, it's not rigged. I mean, he points out that companies use capital to develop new products, innovations, and improve goods and services. And that process is validated through their earnings and growth in price and dividends over time so that's the fundamental basis of the market and you know everybody can win with stocks because value is constantly being created however the speculation of buying and selling stocks or etfs is a zero-sum game where for you to win someone else has to lose and that's why he's saying it's rigged yeah it's gambling basically i mean if you're out there short-term trading 
Um, it is a zero-sum game, and, and it's it's basically gambling, speculating, and, you know, speculation eventually is going to work against you. It's eventually going to hurt you. Plus, your costs go up if you're doing a lot of trading. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, we often quote the Dow Bar study, which I think bears us out, since most investors are involved in some type of speculation with timing or stock picking. In this study that we quote, the Dow Bar study, um, which is a, a quantitative analysis of investor behavior, I think is what it, mm-hmm. it, it, it it's titled. And it says the average investor only got 4.7% over the last 20 years, less than half of what the market made, which was 9.2% over the last 20 years through 2015. So the average investor fell 4.5% short of a market return by the hyper-trading and timing um, when they could have just gotten a market return less their cost by simply holding a well-diversified portfolio. Um, so to me, that just speaks volumes right there. I mean, the average person gets hurt by the in and out of the market, mm-hmm. by timing and, and the trading they're doing. So owning a diversified portfolio is a proven process, but it takes time, and it will not produce a great return every year. Bogle points out that investors are impatient, and they want a great return now. They feel like they have to fix something when the market's down or flat, as it has been now for, for several years. That's right. You know, we, we live in a microwave society, and they want it instantly mm-hmm. a lot of times, you mm-hmm. know. But you have to be disciplined to, to leave it alone during the poor markets and, and be patient for the good years, you know, like you said, Steve, which takes time. Uh, bear markets, you know, which are markets that are down 20% or more, they usually last about a year or two, but then they usually recover within, you know, the next two or three years as well. Uh, the same is true of flat markets like this one that we're in now. You can't think of uh, investing like a football game, which I know we jokingly referred to a little while ago, uh, where you're going to lose if uh, you're down and don't do anything. Um, it's more like a long trip. Uh there, there will be some days where you have bad weather, traffic problems, uh, but as long as you don't panic and you stay the course, you'll get to your destination. You know, you just you got to stay on there. It's like Dave Ramsey says: uh, the only people that get off, uh, get are the only yeah, the only people who get hurt on a roller coaster are those that try to get off while it's moving. <laughs> you know, so if you sell and change strategies often, trying to chase better returns during poor markets, you're more than likely going to lose this game. You know, that's exactly and that's right. what he's been talking about. Yeah, Bogle points out that, you know, you need to be an investor, not a trader. Not a trader. That's good. Yeah, and that means holding a diversified portfolio of 8 to 10 asset classes and resist the temptation to try to fix it when markets are down or flat like they are today. Okay, so the takeaways here are, you know, it may be tempting to try to control, take control and 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 of your investments and try to pick some stocks or time the market. John Bogle, the founder of Vanguard Funds, says don't do that. He says the game of stock picking is rigged. He says hold a diversified portfolio of stocks with many asset classes or index funds. Try to stay in throughout the downturns of the weak periods like we have today. Be an investor, not a trader, by being patient and staying invested. The market will make you successful over time if you're diversified. So that's uh, that's the story from John Bogle, founder of Vanguard Funds. If you have questions, you can uh, email us or give us a call, and we'll be glad to uh, 
to help you with that. And that leads us up here to our question of the week. Yeah, this um, question comes from a, uh, a client that I, I recently um, uh, met, and um, uh, 65 years old, and uh, they um, had a policy, a $20,000 life insurance policy on her husband. It cost him about $1,000 a year, and they have about a $5,000 cash value. And so the question is, should they keep it? And so, you know, the question, you know, it's always dependent on the situation. And so you have to ask if the husband passes away and she got $20,000, would that would that change her life? And, mm-hmm. and she has a pension. Social Security started. She has about a quarter of a million dollars in a um, in a retirement account. So twenty thousand is really not going to make much change in that. She's also struggling a little bit with the budget. She doesn't have enough money. So saving a thousand dollars on this policy, if she got rid of it, would would help that. And additionally, she has about nine thousand dollars of credit card debt so she could take that cash value and put it towards paying off that debt so you know i told her to think about it for a little bit and we can we're going to reconvene and talk about it but you know you have to kind of go through the scenario of if if someone passes away and they don't have life insurance are you going to be able to survive with your available resources and in her case the answer is yes yeah, that that's that's a great way of looking at it. You want to look at it individually like that. Another way of looking at this is is to look at it financially and say, you know, a twenty thousand dollar life insurance policy. Uh, you know, for somebody at sixty five years old, they probably have about a twenty year life expectancy. Okay, um, so if he if they're healthy and they're going to live probably twenty more years, you're paying a thousand dollars a year. You're going to pay out twenty thousand dollars over the next twenty years. Mm-hmm. And the death benefit's 20000 So if you do a present value on that death benefit back to the day, and you do a present value on the premiums you're going to pay out back to the day, the premiums are going to be worth more than the death benefit. Yeah, plus you have the cash value as well. Plus you have the $5,000 <clears> cash value. So financially, it's easy to look at this policy. Even if the premiums are flat from now till, till, till you know death do you part, um, you're still going to pay more in premiums than you're going to get in death benefit in, as a present value Yeah, back to today. That's another good way of looking at it. So, uh, you know, just from a financial standpoint, I'd say, no, this policy is probably not worth keeping. A lot of policies start skyrocketing mm-hmm. when somebody hits age 65, too, if, the, if it's adjustable premium, you know, policy. Yeah. She did mention that the policy premiums were increasing, and, that, you know, so likely it's going to continue it's, to increase. So I time. would suggest getting an in-force illustration. This policy, clearly, if the premiums are going up, it's going to skyrocket, and she's easily going to pay out more than 20000 yeah. probably multiple of that if they keep the policy. So good question of the week, though. All right, that leads up to our break here, but if you have questions, you can email us at info at moneymd.net or give us a call, Richard Young Associates, 706-739-0725. You're listening to Money MD. We'll be right back after these messages. Stay with us. Welcome back to Money MD, where the money doctors are in the house. I'm Steve Marbert, a certified financial planner. I'm here with John Travis, who is a Dave Ramsey local provider, and Gordon Leopard, who is a financial advisor at Richard Young Associates, along with us. And we are going to um, lead off our next segment here with a new topic, and that is who has income and who doesn't. Mm-hmm. Um, good it article depends. here, good local article that um, 
Yeah, I mean, it's it's a good question, and it's talking about uh, uh, government services, right? Yeah, and Defining is. who has income and who can receive government services and why. That's right. This uh, gentleman, William uh, Baranek, is, uh, was, is a professor emeritus from the uh, financial, of financial economics from the University of Georgia. So, uh, obviously, um, a retired professor that has a lot of experience in uh, financial matters, economics, and so forth, and it's an interesting topic, guys. It's talking about, you know, at the end of the day, it's talking about education financially, and that's something right up our alley and something we have a lot of passion for. So, you know, the article goes on to say, you know, occasionally it's useful to call attention to inappropriate use of the English language, especially when it leads to misleading impressions and, you know, if not just flat-out falsehoods. And so social workers, politicians, and journalists, for example, often casually discuss what constitute an income recipient. And in such discussions, it's normal to assert that people with no income should be eligible for various forms of welfare assistance. And in this context, you know, what do we mean by no income? Well, we can easily suggest that people that are unfortunately handicapped physically, mentally, or both, or maybe who cannot normally be employed or someone that has a weekly paycheck that was you know, taken, these are common examples of one class of no-income citizens that the typical person would agree is properly classified. And I think we would all say, you know, folks that are getting gov- government assistance in these categories, it makes sense. I mean, we need to provide, you know, help for those that, that are struggling and, and are not able to take care of themselves. Yeah, particularly with people that can't <clears throat> take care of themselves. Unfortunately, it points out here that up to a third of our population currently is receiving some form of welfare, which is amazing to me. They they point out there's over 80 federal programs that are dispensing welfare assistance in some form or fashion. And it is incredible to believe that there are, are that that many people potentially identified as people being without income up to a third of our population. I mean, that's that's remarkable. It's a lot of people. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. The, uh, the hypothetical panelists imply that since they are um, intelligent people suggested that their expression welfare recipients have no income really means uh, what it really means is to convey that the recipients have grave difficulties managing their income so in other words by never saying that that uh, for never saving for that rainy day among other pitfalls they chronically experience the no income syndrome so he's talking about management you know, of of their monies is leading to them having no income. So the reason why they don't have any income is because they've been irresponsible. Yes, right. Yeah, right, right. We had, yeah, that always makes That's right, man. John. And, and you, you were pointing out uh, to a more viable solution to the welfare problem uh, is actually, you know, the need for aid, but welfare uh, recipient education directed toward consumer financial management and, and budgeting because budgeting is really the – the foundation mm-hmm. uh, that that I think a lot of people they miss. Yeah, they also talk about shopping skills as well. That's right, which is interesting. I mean, it's um, you know, we talk about ways to save money and so forth, or the way we shop, and it all plays, it all ties together to having more income if you shop wisely and buy in in bulk or look for sales and things like that. So, you know, expressed alternatively, some people need this form of assistance not because they lack income. But because they are deficient, like we said, in income management skills when talking about budgets and so forth. And while the serious weakness of managing income provides both a a plausible and a key explanation for the plight of many on welfare roles, it also helps point to a solution to the vexing.
pressing problem of aiding the needy, and that is welfare recipient education directed toward, you know, some consumer financial management and budgeting skills is needed, and that includes, you know, shopping and teaching them about how, when you do have money, what you need to do with it, and Dave Ramsey is a great example of that. But the budget shows you what you have to work with when you go shopping. Yes, right. You know? Yep. Shopping education. I I would never thought of that. Yeah, I, just, I mean, but that's true. The spending. Yeah. Just, well, yeah, I mean, it's figuring out how to shop efficiently and frugally and, and save money when you're shopping, not just going out here and just paying sticker price for everything mm-hmm. at the most expensive store, right? And we talk about that all the time. Um, yeah, I mean, at first glance, I mean, it, it, you kind of do gasp at the immensity of this. I mean, you know, reaching existing mature adults with such a vision is it's kind of hopeless um but imaginative and innovative and creative efforts i mean can bring those skills particularly to youth people in k you know kindergarten through 12th grade levels um i think it would be very appropriate to expose them to this kind of education i mean i'll just go beyond this and say i think we also ought to make it somewhat mandatory for people that are receiving welfare Mm -hmm. to get some type of education and training on how to manage their money. So I think it makes good points here. Yeah, I agree. I agree. And to understand and absorb the importance and the scope of this proposal, it does not require that we immediately have at hand all the tools and essentials for the execution of it. Um, But that is the task of, you know, developmental visionaries, those uh, with imagination who are currently biting at the bit, waiting for a groundswell to identify and, and sweep them forward. And so he's basically saying, you know, there's there are educators out there that have, you know, the vision. And, um, you know, I'd love to talk with some local ones about about this article, because I think there's a way to change our society over time with education. Yeah. And there, there have been some changes implemented, you know, uh, according to the Council for Education, 23 states now mandate that uh, high schools provide a course in economics and 17 uh, require training in personal finance for high school students. Continuing in that vein, you know, uh, out in Dallas, there's the school board. They recently uh, required its high school graduates to have a course in financial education. So they're they're making that a mandatory part of uh, just just like you know any other subject. And I think that's a great thing. Yeah, a professor of marketing at Winston Salem State University, in North Carolina, recently noted in a op-ed in the Wall Street Journal uh, the importance of teaching negotiating skills at grade school level. It's interesting. I don't know about that. But have you schools. ever negotiated with a you know six year old? Yeah, they're going to be yeah. negotiating over food items. You know, <laughs> that would be hard. I'll give you hard. my uh, give you my fruit for your candy bar. <laughs> I am a big proponent. That's my of, girls. <laughs> yeah, really. I am a big proponent of educating them financially, and we we've, we've supported. You know, um, we sponsored the program at South Aiken mm-hmm. uh, High School, right in in Aiken. Uh, yeah, for, with Dave Ramsey has a high school program, and and I think it's the only program in the CSRA, and and uh, you know. They started probably five years ago, and, and my son Matthew actually went through it um, in 10th grade. And they started with yep. one class, and they're actually up to four classes. It is so popular. Wow. That's great. It is amazing. It fills up very, very quickly. Um, so, you know, I'd love to talk with um, with the Aiken County superintendents and, get, you know, get his you know take on this stuff because – the way to change this long term is education. It just is. It is. And, um, it is. You know, we're teaching people algebra and geometry and chemistry, which is great, but you know, not everybody uses that on a daily basis. Whereas finance touches everybody. 
It does. I mean, everybody has to know how to balance a checkbook. They have to know how to manage credit card debt and any kind of debt and stay out of debt and, you know, manage their bills. And so, I mean, this makes a good point. That's what leads to the need for welfare is people's ignorance, if you will, Mm -hmm. about financial matters. Mm And, uh, you know, you need to start at the at grade school level, really, in teaching this stuff. It needs to be all the way up the line. Yeah. It needs to be a requirement. Yeah, I agree. I agree. So uh, it's a good article. It makes some good points. really does. Okay. Um, that leads up to our break here. But if you have questions, you can. Well, I guess we, that leads up to our we prescription. Prescription week. Let's do that first. We can go to break if you want. No, no. Let's do the prescription. All right. Prescription. Um, uh, this has to do with interest rate risk. And, guys, we've talked about this before with, with bonds. And a general rule of thumb, you know, when interest rates rise, the value of a bond will decrease. So as an example, um, let's say you have a 3% yield on a bond and interest rates go up to 4%. Well, when you go to sell that bond that has a 3% yield, why would anybody buy it when they can go get it for 4%? So you have to discount that bond price in order to sell it. So, you know, you got to make sure that you have short-term bonds in this environment. We don't know when interest rates are going to increase. We've been talking about increases for a while. We do see some momentum in, um, you know, yelling, increasing the uh, the interest rate. So just look at your, your bonds and um, try to make sure you don't have long-term bonds. Yeah, I think that's the point here. I mean, long-term bonds are risky in an interest rate environment where rates are going up. Um, even midterm bonds have some risk, mm-hmm. midterm or inter- intermediate bonds. So you want to stay short and high quality in this kind of environment. So look at your bonds. I think it's a good point in your 401K plan or your other investments. And make sure you're in kind of short-term, high-quality, safe stuff. Uh, for rising interest rates that eventually are going to come. Yep. So good point. Okay, and that leads us up to our break, finally. <laughs> but if you have questions, you can email us at info at moneymd.net, or you can give us a call, 706-739-0725. You're listening to Money MD. We'll be right back after these messages. <laughs> Welcome back to Money MD, where the money doctors are in the house. I'm Steve Marbert, a certified financial planner, and I'm here with John Travis, who is a Dave Ramsey local provider, and Gordon Leppard, who is a financial advisor at Richard Young Associates, along with us. And we are starting our last segment here talking about charitable donations from your IRA. Um, yeah, I mean, this is a great benefit that um, has been made permanent now, right, Gordon? Yeah, that's exactly right, Stephen. That's that's what they kind of open up with uh, here. It was something that people were utilizing for quite a while. You know, kind of came to a head in 2015, and then uh, – Legislation, they decided to make it permanent, which was a great thing uh, because lots of people, you know, uh, that are in 
particular situations like this, they they want to be able to utilize. That. I just I just always wonder permanent and tax code. You know, it just seems like you know oxymoron. oxymoron. Yeah, <laughs> yeah nothing, nothing's totally permanent. I know. There. So, but know. for now, for the foreseeable future, that's right. And you know, like we said, thankfully they made, they made this permanent in 2016. We'll we'll see how long permanent actually means uh, there. But we're gonna we're gonna cover uh, some of the different areas and some of the different stipulations. You know, with this uh, what they call QCD uh, qualified uh, charitable distribution and you know how that can be a smart ta- uh, you know smart move for your taxes uh, but you have to take action within that year for it to actually benefit you with for that particular tax year so here here's what you need to know uh, about qualified charitable distributions the basics Steve get us going yeah I mean it's a qualified charitable distribution a QCD is what they call them for short, they come out of your traditional IRA um, without any federal income tax hit. Um, in contrast, other IRA distributions are taxable That's right. as ordinary income, right? So unlike a cash donation to a charity, that you, you um, a qualified uh, charitable donation distribution cannot be claimed as an itemized deduction. That's right. Um, but that's okay because the money comes out tax-free out of your IRA, um, and it, it it equates to 100% deduction, just like you deducted it, because it comes out of your IRA deductible, I mean, tax-free, goes straight to the charity, um, so you'll never be taxed on that amount, and you, you don't have to worry about um, tax law restrictions that apply to, to itemized charitable write-offs. So in other words... Giving your IRA money directly to a charity like that, it avoids the negative tax effects that happen when you take a distribution first out of your IRA. It just really kind of is streamlines, and, and that's it's a pretty easy process. I talked to our ladies in the in the office about that, and you know we've been doing these for people. So sure, yeah, and the same is true if you inherit an IRA from a deceased original account owner. You you too can do the QCD drill if you've reached uh, seventy and a half. However, you know, to do this, you must uh, meet all of the following tax requirements. Um, one of them is it must be distributed from an IRA, and it cannot occur before you as the IRA owner or beneficiary are 70 and a half. So you've got it. 70 and a half is the key. It's kind of that magic that's number. There. Mm-hmm. And that's, that's right, John. It must meet the normal tax law requirements for the 100% deductible charitable uh, donation. Uh, if you receive any benefits that would be subtracted from a donation under the normal charitable deduction rules, uh, such as tickets or, you know, something like that, then the distributions, they can't be a, a QCD. So be aware of this rule, and it's very important that you follow this rule uh, very closely. Uh, it must be a distribution that would otherwise be taxable. So a Roth IRA distribution can meet this requirement if it's not a qualified uh, distribution, meaning tax-free. And we'll talk about that a little bit later on. But, you know, it, it's not usually advisable to, to try to do one of these out of your Roth. Yeah, that's right. Um, it, the good news is the limit is very high on these. <laughs> very high. $100,000 annual right. limit that applies to these. So there's a lot of money. You know, most people can would never come close to that. Um, or have to worry about that, but uh, $100,000 for QCDs for any one year. But if both you and your spouse have IRAs, then and you've been fortunate enough on your financial journey to be able to do that, then actually you can do 100000 each from your IRAs wow. once you're each over 70 and a half for a combined $200,000 if you file a joint return. 
some happy um, uh, charities out there with those type of donations. I promise you, you'd make a charity very, very happy. <laughs> That's right. $200,000. So either one, though, even 100000 is a huge limit. All right. Well, let's let's talk about some of the tax savings advantages uh, that, that people can realize through these strategies. Uh, there's at least four potential tax savings elements. First, um, the QCDs are not included in your adjusted gross income. This lowers the odds uh, that you will be affected by various unfavorable AGI rules, uh, such as those that can cause more of your Social Security benefits to be taxed. You know, that's a big one for a lot of people that uh, they're they're usually concerned about as well. I know we get questions about Social Security tax and stuff like that all the time. Um, and more of your investment income to be hit, you know, with the 3.8% Medicare CERT tax, uh, it's not going to bump you up. So this, this doesn't affect that. The QC... QCDs are exempt from the rule that says your itemized charitable write-offs for the year cannot uh, exceed 50% of your AGI. So if this uh, QCD is going straight to that charity, mm-hmm. then you know that's not going to affect that AGI there. Yeah, that's good. Here's a second uh, savings. The QCD from a traditional IRA counts as a distribution for purposes of the required minimum distribution rules. You know, therefore, you can arrange to donate all or part of your 2016 RMD amount. That's up to 100000 limit, like we mentioned, um, that you would otherwise be forced to withdraw and pay taxes on. So you get to save that piece of it. Yeah, and you're not limited by your RMD. Some people are confused by that and think, oh, I can only do up to my RMD. Actually, you can do all the way up to $100,000. That's so. right. So it's, uh, but it counts as your RMD as well. So that's a good point. Yeah, the next one here is... You know, let's say you you own more than one traditional IRA, um, and you have some non-deductible contributions over the years in those IRAs. Your IRA balances consist partly of taxable money, and then one, one way of thinking of it is a layer of taxable money and a layer of non-taxable money from your non-deductible after-tax money right. you put in in the years. It, it's kind of obscure because, I mean, most people don't have that situation, but if you do, any of your, uh, your qualified charitable deductions or donations are treated as coming straight from the taxable layer. That's right. Um, so any of your non-taxable amounts are left in your IRA, so you don't have to prorate it like you do when you're taking a normal distribution out of an IRA where you have some taxable and non-taxable money coming out. So if you have non-taxable money, after-tax money in your IRA, the QCD does not touch your after-tax money. It comes straight from your taxable money first. Um, so that's a that's a great uh, benefit, you know. For again, it's kind of obscure, but you know it's a good one. And then the fourth one, you know, of course, uh, QCDs reduce your your taxable estate as well. So that's another uh, benefit, you know, if you're in that 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 tax bracket. I mean, these 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 items really benefit wealthy people. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's not the average person. Yeah, and here's some of the. Uh Here's some good candidates for the QCDs. You know, if you can afford to donate IRA money, uh, you can benefit tax-wise if you match one or more of the the following profiles. You don't uh, itemize deductions. You know, under the normal rules, uh, only itemizers get any uh, income tax benefits from this charitable donation. So even if you don't itemize, this is still a benefit for you, you see. Uh, If you do itemize, but your charitable donations um, for the previous year would be delayed by the 50% of the AGI restrictions or partially phased out because you're a higher income uh, taxpayer. You know, again, this one goes 
it's pretty much exempt from that. So this is a, a good benefit there. If you want to avoid being taxed on the required minimum distributions uh, amount that you take out or that you have to take out of your IRA. And again, this is a, a good strategy to send and write to your uh, charity of choice. You know, so you know you, you're looking for a quick, easy ta- uh, state tax reduction strategy. Here's another good, good way to, to kind of uh, facilitate that. I think the RMD is going to be. I mean, people are wanting to that give could use that RMD as right. a way to give, and therefore it's going to help them from a tax standpoint. Yeah, yeah I think that's where the <clears> real be the benefit biggest. is being able to take your RMD and give it directly to a charity. Yeah, and so another question is: is should you consider a, a Roth um, QCD? And generally, the answer is no. And the reason is is because you or maybe your heirs can take federal income tax free withdrawals from your Roth, um, as long as one at least one Roth account has been o- o- opened for at least five years. And also, for original account owners, um, Roth IRAs are not subject to the uh, required minimum distribution rules until after you pass on. So, you know, the bottom line is, is because the tax rules for Roth IRAs are so favorable, it's generally best to leave Roth balances untouched for as long as possible, rather than taking money out for these QCDs, because it's going to benefit, you know, not only yourself, but future generations. Right. Yeah, you never want to give Roth money directly to a charity because, I mean, that money's tax-free. Plus, you don't get a deduction on money you give out of an IRA. So yep. you want to give after-tax money if you don't have money in a regular IRA to give to a charity and you're over 70 and a half. Okay, good topic, though. And uh, this has been this week's edition of Money MD. Tune in next Saturday from 9 to 10 a.m. to hear more prescriptions for your financial health. And do check us on our website, moneymd.net. Email us your questions. We would love to hear from you. You can email us directly at info at moneymd.net or give us a call, Richard Young Associates, 706 739 Thanks for listening. Have a great weekend. Ladies and gentlemen. Material on this program is intended for general information only and should not be taken as specific investment, tax, or legal advice. None of the information contained in this broadcast is intended by the host to be a solicitation for the purchase or sale of any security. Endorsed local provider is an endorsement of customer service only and does not reflect quality of investment decisions and is not connected to investment returns. Further information is available by contacting Richard Young Associates, a registered investment advisor, securities sold through Independent Financial Group, LLC, member of FINRA and SIP. See you.